You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. All right, so let's look at uh, the message for today. We, we started the conversation on this three-part series about the paranormal by giving you a lay of the land. We identified the uh, map of the spiritual world was the first message. And the reason that was important is because uh, we are not just uh, observers or thinkers about the spiritual world. We are actually travelers through it. As I mentioned last week, the purpose of a map is to get you to where you're going without getting lost. But when it comes to a map of the spiritual world, the challenge of getting lost is not just inconvenience. The challenge is danger. If you get lost in the spiritual world, um, it's more than an inconvenience. It's a trap. And that's because the spiritual world is at war. And so what we risk is, is getting captured, not just getting lost for a little while. So last week, we talked about the two main traps of the spiritual world, which is the, the trap of deception and the trap of possession, actually allowing the paranormal to gain control and influence in our lives and not for good. Today, we're going to conclude then by looking at the protection, the spiritual protection that God offers to counter against the traps and the schemes of the enemy. Now, if you listen, you, you probably have heard uh, regularly people say things about protection in the, in the paranormal realm. Uh, either they'll talk about some ritual or a physical object. Some people look to medallions. Some people wear a cross necklace, not just because they like it, but because they think it brings them protection. Uh, you'll hear people say, knock on wood, which means they're appealing to something super to kind of make the good luck keep going for some reason. Uh, they'll recite a chant. They'll put up a dream catcher. They'll get involved in sage cleansing, or they'll sprinkle holy water for protection against the paranormal. Now, none of these objects or any like that really uh, provide power. That's not where the power for protection uh, in this realm resides. So this morning, what I want to do is first look at where the source and the key to this power is, kind of the power for this, where it comes from. And then we're going to look at the armor that God gives us to wield that power. First of all, the source. The source of the power that's available for our protection in this invisible battle, in this invisible realm, is our relationship with God. It's as we move close to him that we find more protection. It's as we turn our backs away and move away from him that we find greater vulnerability. Now, one of the stories that it's told in the Old Testament that makes this evident is uh, the scene of two battles that the nation of Israel faced immediately after they escaped from slavery in Egypt. These are their first two battles. Joshua is the leader of Israel at this time, and he leads them into both of these battles. The two battles are these, the Battle of Jericho and the Battle of Ai, spelled A-I. Now, the study of these battles is really a study in contrast. And this is not just you know, history of a nation struggling to survive, this is God telling us what's really going on behind every battle we face, whether it's an actual war or whether it's a struggle of a different kind. And so they are a study in contrast. First of all, the two cities are very different. Jericho is large. If you look up Jericho on the map, you can still find it. It's at a crossroads in Palestine. And therefore, it was a major trade route, uh, was well-guarded, well-fortified, very large, substantial city in ancient times. Ai, by contrast, is small. It was up in the foothills. Uh, we would call it a, a suburb, uh, something kind of 
where if you had enough money, you might go to hang out. But it was a very small city by comparison of Jericho. Now, in the Battle of Jericho, which was the first of the two battles, the army of Israel consisted primarily of seven leaders, and these seven leaders were seven priests. In the Battle of Ai, this is the contrast in the battle, the battle was, was um, carried out by 3,000 soldiers. So you got seven priests attacking a larger city and 3,000 soldiers attacking a very small and insignificant city. The weapon that was used in the Battle of Jericho, the primary weapon was, was the trumpet. Not a, a, a normal warfare other than charge, but not an actual weapon. The weapon used in, in AI is the more conventional weapon of the time, and that was swords. So if you were to line up the comparisons and ask any military expert to say, how do you think these battles would go? The outcome would be obvious. The, the Battle of Jericho should have been a major defeat, seven priests and seven trumpets up against a major fortified city, and the Battle of Ai should have been a stunning victory, 3,000 soldiers armed with swords up against a very small city. But that is not what happened. The opposite is what happened. Jericho was the complete and total victory, and Ai was a stunning defeat. What happened? First, let's take a look at the Battle of Jericho. Joshua is scouting Jericho's defenses in anticipation of this battle when an unidentified uh, person, looks like a soldier, um, approaches him. Joshua asks him to identify which side he is on, basically friend or foe. And this is what we read in the book of Joshua, chapter 5, verse 14 in the Old Testament. The, the unidentified individual says, I'm for neither side. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And you can read on, but the angel then of God's army gives Joshua the strangest military plan ever devised. He says, the soldiers that you have, they are to march, but they're to march quietly and not to the city gates to attack it, but around the city walls. And they are to be led by seven priests. And they're to do this once a day for six days. So they get up in the morning, the priests line up, the soldiers line up behind them, and they march around the city once, the day's done. They go home. They do this for six days. Then on the seventh day, they ratchet it up. And the way they ratchet it up is the seven priests each blow a trumpet while they do this marching around the city. And after the seventh time around the city, so they march seven times now, blowing the trumpet for seven times around the city, they are to blow with one long final blast from their seven trumpets. And then the army that's been marching silently for seven days, after the trumpets have let out their final blast, they are to let out a loud shout. And at that point, the angel tells Joshua, the walls are just going to crumble. And the city has become so terrified, not because of the trumpets, but because God has put fear in their hearts, they're just going to immediately surrender. No one will die. The city will just be surrendered, and a victory will be won. Now, I'd love to have a video of Joshua's reaction to this plan. <laughs> really? I've never, I've, I've never heard of that. But this is exactly what Joshua instructed the priests and the army to do. And this is exactly what happened, as God said it would. 
Next, we turn our attention to the Battle of Ai. This one was different from the very beginning. Before the Battle of Jericho, the, the people of God had gathered to worship God, and they had asked for help. They knew that they were up against a superior force. But after Jericho and after that tremendous victory, they're brimming with confidence. And so they kind of skip this whole worship and pray to God step. They go straight to the battle plan and then the battle. They drop a plan and they go, go to battle. And it's an absolute disaster. Why? Well, that's what Joshua wanted to know. And so he asks God. Now he took time to pray. I mean, this is often true in my life, too. If I'm brimming with confidence, if things have been going well, I, for some reason, don't find as much time for prayer. So when things are falling apart, that I find time for prayer. Well, this is what Joshua was experiencing, so now he took time to pray. And God said the reason that the defeat in Ai was so stunning was because some person in the nation of Israel had sinned. A man by the name of Achan spelled A-C-H-A-N, had taken some of the plunder from Jericho, from that victory, and hidden it in his tent. Now, first of all, you have to understand, in ancient times, taking plunder was a common practice. In fact, this was part, partly how you would fund a war, is you would promise the soldiers plunder. To the victor goes the spoils. But God had forbidden, strictly forbidden this for his nation. Why? It's because these battles that you read about in the book of Joshua and the other battles, they, they're not just about land and money and power like every other human war is. No, this, this was about God's judgment on the people of these cities. You see, for centuries, you can read about in the Old Testament, God had warned them to stop their idol worship and stop the sacrificing of their children to the gods of that day. But they had refused. And so God the God who is slow to anger, but eventually he does act. He had seen enough. And so for anyone to take plunder from a victory would signal to the entire world at the time, like, oh, this is just another normal war. But to not take plunder would cause everyone to lean in and say, what is the purpose of this war? And that's the message God wanted to send. This is not just about land. This is not just about power. This is about my judgment against people who have turned their back on me. So what is the point of the story of these two battles? Well, there's a couple of points. One is there is more going on in this world than the battles that we can see. How else can you explain the fact that the bigger battle is won by priests and trumpets and the smaller battle is lost by the sin of one man? The only reason that makes sense is because the invisible realm carries more weight than the visible one. The power of protection is found in the invisible realm. What we see as we move through our days isn't just the result of natural causes and effects, but also of spiritual, supernatural causes. Now, if the natural world is all there is, and if it's all that really matters, then seven trumpets could never bring down the walls of Jericho. And if the natural world is all that matters and is most important and most powerful, then one single sin would not have such a drastic effect on a superior army. It would have made no difference at all if the natural world is really most important and really most powerful. 
But the point of these battles is that is not the case. It is what takes place in the spiritual realm that animates the visible realm. So the power of protection resides in our relationship with God. That's the point of these two stories. The power of our protection resides in our relationship with God. It comes from Him. He provides protection as we draw close to Him. But what does that mean practically? How do you draw close to God? And in what ways do we tend to distance ourselves from God and make ourselves more vulnerable? Well, now we switch to the second part, and this is found in the New Testament. In the New Testament portion of the Bible, we're given a practical list of armor that provides protection in the spiritual realm. And these are not just things to do like a sage cleansing or a dream catcher. You know, try this, trinket to see if it'll help. That's not the category. These are practices that are designed to draw us close to God and defeat the enemy's attempt to create distance between us and God. Here's what we read as we set up this series of armor in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. It says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So again, if you were with us at the beginning, we started this series with a map of the spiritual world, as I said. And we discovered there are two powers at war, God and his angels and Satan and his demons. Satan is not all-powerful and all-knowing like God is, but he is still supernatural. He's just not God, but he's much more powerful than we are. He's incredibly intelligent, and his demons are well-organized into military ranks. That's what it means when it talks about rulers and powers and authorities. You can think of colonels and lieutenants and sergeants and privates. It's a well-organized army. And so we are outmatched. And that's why the power has to come from God. This is why we need to learn how to be strong in the Lord. Not in us, but in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's where the power comes from. Satan and his vast demonic army are at work advancing their objectives, which is to separate as many people as possible from God, both now and ultimately for all of eternity. That's the aim that they have. So to advance this objective, the enemy, Satan, employs several schemes, this says. Now, a scheme is a multi-part plan that's implemented over time. It's a strategy that has several pieces with an ultimate goal in mind. And to counter each of these schemes, God has given the Christian, the follower of Christ, specific pieces of armor to provide protection. Again, not like magic, but because it's through this armor we are drawn closer to the God who gives power to protect us. So let's read through these pieces of armor, and then we're going to walk through them in order. Uh, uh, verses 14 through 18 of Ephesians chapter 6, we read this. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckle around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. In these verses, God gives us 
the enemy's battle plan. He hands it to us. And he says in verse 11, as it says in verse 11 that we just read earlier, put on the full armor of God. This is not, hey, pick your two favorite. Try this one. If it doesn't work, try this one. Like a soldier going into battle, every piece of armor is needed because it provides protection for different areas, and they work together. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So each piece of armor works together and is designed to counter one of the enemy's primary schemes in creating distance between me and God, you and God. So what this means is if you consider the particular piece of armor and what it does, then you can identify the particular scheme of the enemy that it's designed to counter. And that's what we're going to do this morning. There are six basic enemy schemes, six ways that the enemy wants to take you out, wants to put distance between you and God. Each scheme is designed to create distance, to get us to move away from God rather than towards God. It's as we put on the armor, we move towards God and we find greater protection. Now, the circumstances are going to differ in your life and in my life, but you will just like I have and will continue to battle these six. Each of these schemes we know well. So let's look at them in turn. We're going to look at the scheme, what it means, how, you know, what that particular piece of armor means, and how to practically use it. So scheme number one is confusion. Satan wants to confuse us. So he lies to our minds and to our emotions. You're not going to hear an audible lie, most likely. It'll be a thought that you've heard or that you've read that is not true. Or a thought that just pops in your mind that is not true or is a little bit off. And a lot of the thoughts you have are your own. But a good number of the thoughts we have didn't come from us. The enemy brought them to mind to lie to us. And he also lies to our emotions. Not everything we feel is true. Sometimes we feel things just to get us confused, just to create distance between us and God and other people. Jesus called Satan the father of lies. He is the author behind every single lie. So to counter this scheme, God gives us what's called the belt of truth. What is the belt of truth? Well, for the ancient soldier, the belt was the combat vest. You know, in the modern soldier, the combat vest is kind of what every piece of armor and every item of weaponry uh, that really is attached to the combat vest. Well, in the ancient soldier, it was more of a belt that attached the sword and the breastplate was attached to it. And kind of everything, you know, all of the protection really anchored in the belt of truth. It's what secured the rest of the armor in place. If the belt of truth was loose, if the belt in armor that all the armor was attached to was loose, then defeat was certain for that soldier. The lies of Satan can only be countered by the truth of God's word. So how do you use this armor? The question that you need to ask yourself is what am I thinking, what am I feeling, and what does God's word say about that? In that order. What am I thinking? Now, if you're struggling, you don't need to do this all the time, but if you find yourself struggling, the tendency is to just kind of head down, keep moving forward. 
what is really helpful if you just pause for just a couple of minutes and say, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And is that true? Does the Bible agree with what I'm thinking? Does the Bible agree with what I'm feeling? Write it down. For, for me, sometimes just writing it down helps me get it out of my head so I can see, oh, that's not true. The Bible says this over here, and that what I'm thinking is not true. Sometimes I need to talk to other people. I need to get way out of my head. And I'll just say, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. I, I know my perspective is off. Can you help me find the truth? Because I'm struggling. That's the belt of truth. Find out what the Bible says on the matter. If you don't know, ask someone who does know. Don't just Google it. Ask someone that actually knows what the Bible says about this. So that's scheme number one attached to the belt of truth. Scheme number two is accusation. Satan wants to accuse us. In fact, that's what the word Satan means. His name literally means accuser, the accuser. So what he does is he is continually reminding us of our sin. And sadly, he's got a point. He has a lot of material to remind us about. So when we are accused, we don't want to draw close to God. We're embarrassed or disappointed or discouraged, and we just want to turn away from him. And that's what he wants. So the counter to the scheme is the breastplate of righteousness. The, the breastplate protected the ancient soldier from a kill shot. I mean, it just was the piece of metal that went over the midsection of the body. Now, sin is the spiritual kill shot that separates us from God. And Jesus Christ is our breastplate of righteousness. He is the one who makes us right with God. His perfect life, given in exchange for our imperfect life, is what allows us to be made right with God. And that is now our protection. Not our perfection, but the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his perfection on our behalf. So how do you use the breastplate of righteousness? Well, there, there's two very important applications. First, you realize that it is the righteousness of Christ that is your defense, not your own righteousness. If you try to take on the accusation of the enemy by proving that you're good enough, that's a short battle. You're going to lose that one. But if you say, and I do this often, you know, Satan, I'm feeling really guilty about myself. I know you're accusing me, and you got a point. But that's why Jesus died, and that's why I've asked him to be my Savior. And I am standing behind his sacrifice for me. That's the only reason I can be right with you. That's the first way you put on the breastplate of righteousness. The second way is you run away from temptation and toward what is right. In other words, if you're saying, I'm claiming the breastplate of righteousness in Christ, and yet I'm going to dive into the sin and not struggle to resist at all, that's heading in opposite directions. So we accept the forgiveness of Jesus, and we begin to take our sin serious. That's how we put on the breastplate of righteousness, and we draw close to God, and there's protection. Scheme number three is division. Satan wants to divide us between each other and between us and God. So what he does is he just stirs up conflict, thoughts and feelings of conflict. The counter to this scheme is the next piece of armor, which is called the shoes of peace. What is the shoe of peace? Nike doesn't make this. What is this? 
Well, shoes allow a soldier to quickly counter the movements of the enemy. There are many battles that have been lost because of bad footwear. Shoes are critical. It may seem like, what does that have to do with armor? But it's critical. It allows you to move, which is essential in war. So what this is, is this, these are shoes of peace because this allows us to move quickly towards peace and not conflict. We counter conflict with two moves. So this is the how do we use this armor part. First of all, be quick to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, which is how we find peace with God. Be ready to explain as you have opportunity. Here's how I found peace with God, and here's how you can find peace with God, what Jesus did, his offer of forgiveness. The second way you advance the shoes of peace is you are quick to clear up relationships. When conflict occurs, you don't just let it sit. You are quick not just to confront, but primarily to consider, what am I doing wrong? To admit your own sin, to ask for forgiveness. And so you work to resolve your relationships, to clear them up. When you do that, you're tightening up the shoes of peace. And the scheme of division does not have effect. Scheme number four is discouragement. Satan wants to discourage us. Because when we're discouraged, we stop moving. And in war, when you stop moving, you're a target. So what he does is he shoots flaming arrows, which are devastating circumstances. Whenever your response to something in life, whether it's audible or personal, is, oh, no, that's the zing. You've just heard the zing of a flaming arrow. And it's not just an arrow that cuts. It's an arrow that's on fire that cuts, and then it spreads. It spreads, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And the reason it spreads is because you become bitter against God. God, why are you doing this? So the counter to this scheme is the shield of faith. So when the arrows of devastating circumstances fly, we move faith into place. You can literally just imagine taking a shield and moving it in place of where the arrows are coming at you. Now, how do you, how do, you do that? Well, in response, what, what does faith say? Faith says, I trust that God is going to do good, even though it's not good right now. That's faith. So in response to harm, I would recommend you say something close to these words so that you can hear them yourself. Say this, God, this hurts, but I believe you are good. I believe you have a plan, and I believe that in the end, you will do me right. Right now, this doesn't make any sense. Right now, I don't understand. But I am not going to let this take me out. I'm going to put faith in place, and I'm going to tell you, mostly I'm telling me, that, God, you're good, you have a plan, and I will trust it. That's how you move the shield of faith into place. Scheme number five is giving up. Satan wants to get us to quit. So, he gets us to forget that we follow a God who saves. So the counter to this scheme is the helmet of salvation. Now, the ancient helmet um, was for protection, but it also was for identification. 
armies would march and you would first see them coming on the horizon. So the first thing you would see would be the top of the helmets. And so often on the top of the helmets, you would see these plumes in different colors. And that basically identified, oh, that's the Roman legion coming over the horizon. Oh, those are the Persians coming over the horizon. It was, the helmet was the insignia. It was the identifying uniform part that identified what army you were marching in. Our identifying insignia, if you are marching in the army of Christ, our identifying insignia is salvation. We are the ones that God has forgiven. We are the ones that God has rescued. We march in the army of those that God helps and rescues. We are not the most powerful people on the planet. We're not the best people on the planet. We are people who have tasted of and hope in the fact that God is going to rescue us. He's going to help us, no matter how bad it gets. God will save us. Our part is to keep marching, to persevere and not give up. So how do you, how do you put on the helmet of salvation? Two things. First of all, nail down that you're actually marching with Jesus. You're actually saved. You know, don't, don't feel guilty about it, but you know, have you, in fact, asked Jesus to be your personal Savior, the only one who can forgive you? Have you, in fact, declared him to be your Lord, the one that you will follow, the authority for your life? If you haven't, then you're not in the army. So nail down. Are you in the army? If not, join up. Decide to follow Jesus. Secondly, again, I, I think this, for me, this is helpful to verbal, verbally, I say this. What I will say is I serve the God who has a long history of saving people out of the impossible, and he will save me. I march with my brothers and sisters who God will save. So I don't give up. I don't run. I don't quit on my commitments. Scheme number six. Now, up to this point, all the weapons have been defensive. Now we turn to the offense. And that comes in scheme number six. That is silence. The primary weapons in this battle are made of words. God's word to counter the lies of the enemy and our words of prayer asking for God's help. Those are the primary offensive weapons. God's word, the Bible, and our words of prayer. We have no idea, because we can't see it, what power the Bible has in the unseen realm. We have no idea, because we can't see it, what power our prayer has in the unseen realm. But the enemy knows. So his goal is to keep us from knowing God's word and from crying out for help in prayer, just to keep us quiet. He wants us to be silent. To counter this scheme is the sword of the Spirit. And it says, to be clear, this is the word of God. That's what the spirit, that's what the sword is. We sing, swing the sword of the spirit when we use the word of God to fit the situation that we're facing in the moment. How do we do this? We apply God's word to the situation that we're in. What does God say about this challenge? What does God say about this thought? What should I do next? What should I think next? And then we use our own words we open our mouths and we cry out to God for help. We don't stay silent. We cry out to help, for help before him. 
for me, prayer is just such a helpful thing in the war. One of the passages in Psalm 73, verse 21, speaks of a, of a man, Asaph, who wrote this psalm. He was bitter against God because his life hadn't gone as well as some other people. And he describes himself, he said, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. And when I thought of that, I thought, you know, I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be a little ticked at God. And so looking at me is like looking at a cow. I'm just chewing occasionally, but I'm not speaking. I'm not saying anything. So I've learned I've got to start talking to God. I've got I've to say, I've got to speak words and cry out to help. And then help comes at that point. Now the armor focuses in these verses on the individual soldier and the individual pieces of armor that are needed for protection. But this is not just you and me, the lone person doing battle in the spiritual realm. These verses were written to church, to a church, the church in Ephesus. They're in the book of Ephesians. And that's because soldiers don't fight individual battles. Soldiers fight in units. They fight together. And a soldier that is cut off from their, their unit is a dead or captured soldier. The church of Jesus Christ provides more protection than we can imagine against the paranormal. So I want to show you a quick clip from the movie Gladiator where all the pieces of armor are put to use. So just to warn you, this is the fight scene. Okay, We took out some of the particular gruesome parts, so hopefully it'll be okay, but it's a fight scene. And I want to show you this because if we could see the spiritual battle, I think that when the fighting heats up in the invisible realm, the use of the armor would look like this. So let's take a look at this clip. Whatever comes out of these gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we work together. Do you understand? We stay together, we survive. Pleased to bring you the legionnaires of Scipio Africanus!
All right, now you want to go home and watch the whole movie, right? Yes. I want you to remember, I don't know if you noticed, the one scene in which the battle turned is when they went from individuals and they all gathered together, put the shields together, and hunkered down. That's what I wanted you to see. In the spiritual battle, this is what happens in the church. As you learn to use the armor, and as you join with others who are standing to fight, you will be able to stand, and we will be able to start to advance against the enemy. So as we read again in Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Let's pray together. Father, we, we know of each of these schemes because we have bought into them in different measures at different times. And I thank you for your protection, some against our knowledge, but you have given us a knowledge of how to draw your power to bear in these moments. So I pray that you'd help each of us to know which one of these we need to work on most right now. And Father, we thank you for the protection that you bring to the church. I know for me, if it wasn't for others in this church, um, I would not be standing. So I thank you for that. None of us are strong enough. None of us are good enough. We need your power and your help. So I pray that you'd protect us, and we thank you for the armor. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.